Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus. The entire suspension system of a 2009 Camry of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, a.k.a. aggressively accosting someone from another band in the local scene, screaming, I've got a bone to pick with you, but misspeaking and screaming, I have a boner to pick with you, after which everyone laughs at me, which in fear causes me to piss myself after which i am referred to exclusively by my family included as pissy boner boy it's happened to all of us yeah it's a, I mean, that's that's just high school baby <laughs> if you can piss through your boner there is a 100 percent chance you are an angry alpha male sasquatch which you know honestly not so bad i think andrew tate offers a course in it <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> he's, he's, he's a little scrawny, I think, for a squatch. Um, I, I am the black metal guy, a.k.a. A- Andrew Taint. <laughs> Andrew Taint. Uh, that, that could definitely be a, uh, a, a black metal pseudonym for a, a parody band or something. I was thinking just like a regular name for anyone in a grindcore band. Oh, yeah, that's, that's solid, too. Like, that could also be a... Uh, I mean, that could just be the name of a power violence band. That's true. Um, I was going to say, it could be a power violence band. Yeah, band. Andrew, yeah, yeah. Andrew Taint doing a split with, you know, Fuck on the Beach or something, would that would, that would really work. Yeah. But more importantly, have you heard of something called Falucifer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, isn't it like this nine, it's like this uh, early 2000s satanic porno? Yeah, oh, yeah, man, that's really cool. You should tell me about it again. <laughs> Oh my god, I, dude! I had the same fucking idea. I, I like, I was like, dude, we should roll this open with exactly the same opening for a third time, and we do, we just do it for the rest of the year. It's just us talking about values for you know. I, I love that. I love that you only caught it at the end of the intro, and we were like, yeah. oh yeah, of course we're gonna leave this in. You know, that's yeah, the yeah, way. It's like, I've said this exact phrase before. <laughs> it was, uh, it was, we were, we're doing our own version of uh, uh, Haruhi Suzumoya's uh, Endless Eight here on Terminus Extreme Metal Podcast. Wait a second, this is the Matrix. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the red pill is watching six out of ten women get plowed to dark funeral. Uh, <laughs> um, all right, so... We we don't have any uh, we don't have a mini up front for this one. Um, we we have a a special occasion being planned right now, so we've got a straightforward episode. Should we talk about that, or should we wait? Should we wait until we're uh, we're done let's, with that? Let's talk about the special occasion when it's done. Okay, yeah, sure. It, All right, we'll, so. we'll, we'll we'll decide whether it's worth talking about. Is what I would say. Yeah. So uh, yeah. stay tuned, guys. We'll we'll see if there's anything fascinating to report. Yeah. Um, so real quick, top uh, of the hour. Spoiler: Our kid's having his bar mitzvah, <laughs> and then his bris immediately after. That's, um, that's a strange sequence. Yeah, I know. We well, we're, we're, well we're, we're, we belong to an unusual sect. We're progressive, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the the bris is a choice. Um, so uh, real quick, uh, top of the hour housekeeping. Social media: Follow me, the Death Metal Guy, on Facebook at Terminus Podcast, or the Black Metal Guy on Instagram at Terminus Extreme Metal. Uh, and if you are particularly dedicated to the black arts, feel free to uh, uh, connect 
and uh, synergize with us on Patreon, where $5 and up gets you access to our Terminus Prime bonus episodes, as well as the Terminus Black Circle, our private Discord server, where uh, I think it's been anime memes lately, at least for me. I think it's been a lot of anime memes. Hey, all. This is Brandon from Cromley, and you're listening to Terminus. And we are back with a fan submission from a band that we have reviewed before. This is Tenebrous Oblations by Thaumaturgy, out now on Adirondack Black Mass. So the question is, just how turgid is his thaum? <laughs> fairly, fairly turgid. Uh, well, well, so... Let's, um, back, we reviewed the last one, I think, in 2021. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was pretty early on. Uh, one of the earliest review requests we had. Uh, and I think we both remember it being sort of, uh, like, I remember it being almost like Torture Doom, but with the aesthetics, uh, but, but not as tortuous. Like, with the aesthetics more of sort of that atmospheric black death stuff that we've been calling ortho cavern mm-hmm. because it sounds like a combination of things that were popular in 2012 um orthodox bm and cavern core um and uh th- that's basically what i remember it being and i think we both found it uh you know interesting with potential but uh not very memorable yeah basically mm. uh and you know, so we did. We did terminus. Uh, you know, we did terminus shop on it, and uh, this this guy went away and perfect. You know, or developed his craft, um, and is back with a full length. Uh, and this is, uh, I think, in terms of like uh, overall, in, in terms of overall coolness, memorability, and intensity, I would say this is a quantum leap from the last one. Uh, I think I think I remember we we probably said on the last one. I have a vague memory of this that like, you know, you don't need to sort of hide behind the rarefied aesthetic exercise of making this. You know, okay, it's gonna be this atmospheric black death stuff that usually has exciting blast beats, but this time is like you know, super crawling and receding and murky, right? Mm-hmm. You could just step out forward more. And I'm sure there was some of the Profanatica have a hedge on that one, and you probably liked that, and we were probably like, please do more of that. Yeah, I, I remember, uh, I think the thing that I got stuck on with the last one is that some of the doomier stuff wasn't as interesting to me. Um, I can definitely agree that this is, like, a a substantial step forward for the project. Like, this has a much more considered and unique identity to it than the first EP did, I feel. Yeah, in some ways it's more normal. It's not trying to be weird. It's trying to be an engaging, powerful heavy metal record. Um, But, like, the personality of the band coheres a lot more. Yeah. Uh, and the the songwriting is just uh, well everything is way faster uh, even the slow parts there's basically as you said in your notes there's basically nothing here that could be described as doom per se uh, 
and um, it's it's much more active songwriting. There's mm-hmm. there's a fair amount of stuff going on on this record. Yeah, and uh, I think but, that it's important to note that it, like this does lean considerably more into what is in some sense like straightforward death metal, but death metal by way of again a lot of the melodic textures coming from Profanatica, Havohe. Uh, Demoncy, uh, basically, you know, early USBM that is really sort of functionally just death metal. Uh, I, I feel like that's the big starting point for this. Like you can tell, he's listening to. I I, I think he was probably listening to Hypnotic Blood Art by uh, Prosanctus and Fairy a lot mm. for this one. Oh, that would make sense. Yeah, so that's like the old Prosanctus and Fairy, right? No, that's that's the one that we covered a couple years back. That's the newer one. That's the okay, newer one. Like, you can kind of imagine those songs, like, kind of elongated and made more atmospheric, and I think you'd get something kind of akin yeah. to this. With more sort of squiggly, single-string death metal leads. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the riffing focus here, that is a very sort of power chord-focused record. The riffing here is much more like uh, um, alternation between sort of lower-mid-tempo, punctuated, rhythmic uh, sort of... Well, it's mostly not chug riffing. It mostly just kind of like grinds around, like crawls around. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and then you know, blast parts that have more focus on classically death metal single string trem, uh, mm-hmm. but and, also with a black metal quality of speed blurring into a sort of stasis uh, during the blast yes. passages. So let's talk about that. So um, I think. I think the death metal guy is right that in a way this is this is definitely way more death metal than the last one because it is no longer this I think the last one's dominant mood was doom right mm-hmm. so in format a death metal record maybe but um I think the thing that really sets it apart is that there's I mean, you and I often talk about how do you make this sort of incantation meets, you know, I don't know, offer mod or Wata, early Wata and stuff. How, how do you how do you make this stuff better and more exciting? Okay, maybe you make it more like death metal. You sharpen the lines. You make it um, more pummeling, etc. This seems this does some of that, but it also is a lot more black metal sounding than the last one, right? I, there was basically nothing aside from the American black death stuff you were mentioning. I don't think there was much of a black metal feel at all in the last one. Um, not really, but you get the sense of a guy trying to accomplish black metal things with death metal yes. and doom tools. Yes, this feels like there's much more direct BM influence, and in a way. Maybe I've revised this opinion somewhat, but on first listening to it, I I heard this is very similar to later Aosoth, but with the death metal influence coming from incantation rather than immolation, mm-hmm. and the black metal stuff really colored by Migla. That's um, interesting. I don't... Yeah, I'm not sure that I'm right there. I, this strikes me as a guy who might not like Migla at all. Um, and there may be, be... But, like, basically, there are a number of moments with big tremor... The sort of uh, speed-becoming stasis effect that you talked about, mm-hmm. um, and that we'll discuss more. Uh, 
these long-held trem notes over rapid-fire blast beats, that's a very Migla thing, right? A mm. word you used in your notes was processional. Yeah. And this, the uniform feel of this record, from the slow parts to the fast parts, is stately, processional, everything sort of uh, uh, m- m- marches, glides along. Right? Yeah. Uh, there are some more convulsive moments, but even those are a little... Are, are smooth. They're pretty controlled. Um, yeah. Yes. And so that sort of like long held single string trem riff is a very. You, it can be. The long held single string trem riff is very incantation, but in a completely different side of the universe, it's also very Migla. Mm-hmm. And this guy takes the basic shapes of incantation riffs and adds more sort of. Uh, occasional, very effective touches of more consonant noble harmony mm-hmm. um, and in ways that make them sound like Migla riffs and, and, and even the sort of scronk techniques that he uses for you know moments where suddenly it'll leap from a single string to a chord or something mm-hmm. like that uh, that strikes me as very Migla especially like the most stern and aggressive Migla like uh, Age of Excuse right yeah, you know. I I think that, uh, oddly enough, the thing that I would associate this most closely with, although kind of the end result of its mood is very different, would be that uh, Inferno record we covered a couple years back. Yeah, I would say the Lycaon. Yeah, Lycaon would definitely be there. I mean, all of this stuff is kind of around the same terror. Cult of Interitum, Serpent Trance. You know, there's been several of these mm-hmm. kinds of bands we've covered on the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's kind of always a matter of... You know, whenever we cover one of these bands, we're always talking about how do you square the circle of, you know, rising above just doing sort of atmosphere-focused music made out of these parts of Cavern Core and Orthodox. And Thaumaturgy definitely has... um, a more distinct idea of what to do it and a, what to do with it in a more specific atmosphere, which I think is very laudable. Yes, and I think one thing that you can do to uh, Im- improve that sound, right, is he's really done. He's clarified the lines. This is no longer hiding behind a blur of reverb, uh, and there are real identifiable riffs uh, and motifs and stuff. Uh, we like i think we will now we'll probably argue somewhat over what we whether we like those riffs <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> i mean that's the that is actually the thing is like i think we we agree on most of the constituent like details of this record but then our like assessment at the end is very different which i find interesting we're hearing very similar stuff and it, but it's like turning into a pure taste difference yeah, and, you know, this is one thing where, like, people should take the death metal guy's opinion more seriously because he's more familiar with the uh, incantate with the Ledney and Incantation school of Black Death that is at the root of this, so... Um, I, I mean, I don't know, but it's like I've got my own eccentricities and what I like in that style. Well, to, to, to spoil it, I've got a more negative take on this than the Black yeah. Metal guy does. Yeah. But I would say that a lot of that has to do with just 
one sort of an over familiarity with this style on my that's part. That's what I that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah well that, let's clarify it's like I've listened to like too much of this stuff that's connected to Profanatica. So I have these like absurdly stringent requirements. So I, I think that even if I'm like a little more hesitant on this one, yeah. it's still probably it's still probably good enough and probably very good, actually, for anyone who doesn't have a Profanatica tattoo like well, I do. And, <laughs> and I would say more than I would say more than that. This may be a death metal a death metal record that is not going to be that impressive for a death metal guy. But if you're a black metal guy, you may find yourself getting a lot a lot out of it. This the does, other thing. This does strike me as an album that is, like, for black metal guys. Yes. That's what I think. I think this is basically, like, a black metal record, even though there's a ton of death metal writing in it. Um, Oh, yeah, no, no, because it's built out of death metal parts, but it functions in the manner of a black metal record. Yeah. And and I think, like, uh, you know, it also depends on what the reference points are, right? So you're, in a way, what you are comparing it to is much harsher and more rigorous minimalist music that this is that built the skeleton that this is based on mm-hmm. right those early 90s bands i'm comparing it to the glut of sort of uh booming slash shimmering bands that you know have have um crowded third stage at Roadburn since 2010, right? But enough but enough about Sulfur Aeon, you know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Sulfur Aeon's got some got some riffs, man. Do they? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I'll, no, I'll it's, it's 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 Sulfur Aeon is like I, I don't believe in guilty pleasures, but Sulfur Aeon's pretty close. I got gotcha. you. I mean, it, Sulfur Aeon is literally like what if Behemoth songs but with some Migla riffs, sparkly Migla riffs. Oh, oh, so oh, so it's the last Panzerfaust record. Gotcha. Okay. It, yeah, but better. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you would honestly, you'd probably enjoy it, but you'd feel shame after. I gotcha. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll stick to two thousands metalcore for yeah. that. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> but basically, like, I mean, I don't know. I'm thinking of like even comparing it to the bands in that scene that are more hardcore incantation worship and have put out really good records, like. I remember being thoroughly disappointed by the last Igniv- Ignivamus, Ignivamus record. Oh, like, yeah, I didn't hear it. Like, there was a, a great one or two just phenomenal tracks on it, and the rest of it was... Um, and this is a lot better than that, and those guys are, like, leaders in the style. So I'm comparing it to what is what we have say on the show is kind of a... Um, problematic school of metal, <laughs> right? Whereas you are comparing it to sort of ancient masters, and that's going to bring two different perspectives. That's that's very fair. Um, w- with that, let me, uh, let me play a sample, and I want to talk about the stuff on the record that I do really like and I want to be expanded on. Um, so I, I guess my thing is um, my favorite moments on this album are the ones that are the most full-fledged death metal. And the most um, sort of rhythmically aggressive and, in some sense, the least atmospheric parts. I, I like the parts that sound like Day Acquisitor, you know? <laughs> uh, I, 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 no, I agree. Yeah. Um, so I want to go to a track called Rites of Uncreation, which I think is my favorite song on the album. Um, there's a weird, uh, like, 
broadband structural idea going on on this song and kind of across all the songs where mm-hmm. um, like this the way this song progresses is kind of strange because you've got like an intro section and then you're starting the song gets going but it feels like it's halfway through the song and then it progresses to the end loops back to its own beginning and then you sort of end at this weird midpoint it's very interesting um, but uh, what you're going to hear is one of the doomiest sections on the record, as well as just one of the most aggressive and sort of convulsive death metal parts. So obviously the, the the centerpiece of that it really comes down to just that little staggered chord turnaround that gets swapped out and used on multiple riffs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a small thing, but especially when it's um, it functions at the end of like a weird three bar phrase. Mm-hmm. It gives it kind of an off kilter feel. It adds just enough rhythmic dynamic to stop it from being entirely symmetrical. And I like the way it it's swapped out and used between multiple riffs as a linking idea. Um, then when it actually blows into that big, really sparse doom section, mm-hmm. that feels earned. That's like 
an appropriately weird thing to happen. And that's pretty authentic to like old incantation where it wouldn't be a progression. There would be a massive blast beat and then it would just hit a brick wall of like winter type riffing and it would just stop. Um, so I really like that. <clears throat> and I think that these moments, um, especially that weird squalling kind of concrete winds riff, I think it's the second one in the sample. Mm -hmm. There's a lot mm -hmm. of cool stuff happening here. And this actually reminds me of uh, a pretty obscure record that we reviewed, but ended up on one of my year-end lists, which was the record by Tiradero de Cadavres. Right, which should did, be huge. Yeah, which is like a, a sort of like white-hot, blistering intensity take on sort of profanatica type stuff. Just like, but just so sadistically aggressive, it becomes almost like a grind record. Um, which kind of goes to a, a weird thought experiment that occurred while I was listening to this album, which was across a lot of the material that I'm not as fond of, I can imagine all the notes being played for like half as long and leaving everything sort of the same. And then it becomes like a grindy profanatica record. And I really like that idea. Mm -hmm. I think that more of it would sound like this passage, which to me, this is one of the most exciting moments just because so much of this record is built around these sort of deliberately long hypnotic strings of trem over blast beats or double kick patterns. Um, like it, it, sometimes it induces a kind of lethargy in me, but hearing this more rhythmically attacking stuff, that's like, I seize on that immediately. And I'm like, Oh, I want it all to sound like this. I wonder, I was going to ask you about this before we did the review, but I wonder what would happen if you literally played this record at 1.5 speed on YouTube. That um, would be interesting. Like, it might pitch it <laughs> up, but probably wouldn't pitch it up too far. Oh, and no, the uh, YouTube playback has compensators for that, so it would be the same. Same tangent. Yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah, we should try that. Um, but, like, so I can imagine the record you're describing, um, and I think it's a, it sounds like a, yeah, like, that one sounds really cool and interesting however i think there's there's plenty to recommend this one but uh this part you just played is clearly the best part on the record oh yeah um, you thought so too yeah yeah it is it's it's like this is um yeah and i think like the this is uh, but I might have another pick for favorite song, but like this is in a way, this is obviously also the best song on the record. Uh, and it's the, so that is the coolest part. And the song as a, as a whole is the core of the whole record, uh, mm -hmm. because it is the structural template for everything that follows. One thing you can say is that track one, uh, I don't think either of us can remember it. Um, no, it, it feels we like mean, it, we mean that the second track after the intro. Yeah, it really feels like the album starts with Rites of Uncreation. Yeah, I, I think that is. I think that's true. Um, uh, I think the um, so that that part that is just sort of like rhythmically intense, involved, has cool development. Uh, I think you flagged all the right stuff. I I. I it's um everything there is motivated and very uh nothing's on default right mm -hmm. uh you know he he's he very carefully turns the chug riff into this like uh strange really high tension cortisol raising attack riff mm -hmm. and then boom right 
Um, it's not just a conventionalized, orthodox, everything goes quiet part, right? It's a de very deliberate interruption. Um, yeah. And it works because the thing before it was also tense, right? It's not just like a part ends and then a new part and then nothing happens and then a new part starts. Uh, the um, like the silence or the relative quietness. It's sort of a doom part. The 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 relative quietness is totally consistent with what was happening just before it. Um, so, uh, um, and then as you heard at the end of the death metal guy sample we get this after the quiet doomy part we get a big riff um and the interesting thing is in some way the big riff is not as good as the stuff that has just happened because it's a a typical big riff right it's like if you listen to like post you know if you listen to like 20 teens metal right this is a it's it's a it's a conventionalized dopamine releaser. Um, however, I think it's very well shaped. I think you can hear in it the union of incantation and migla I was talking about. I think there's great note no choice. Uh, and there's kind of this thing where after all that action the death metal guy played, when the big riff hits, it's this very earned climax. And it unlocks some new potentials that then... Uh, Thaumaturgy starts working out in a serious way. So let's listen to just the rest of what happens after that. Uh, you know, let the people hear the big riff. So you get a riff that as it first unfolds could go in a number of directions. Uh, you know, you've got some like minor six that's got a bit of an epic color to it, but uh, it could also just become a really nasty death metal riff. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, you get this really cool harmonization that gives it a definite consonant color without uh it sort of 
without resolving it at all, right? It's um, like the chord is extremely tense and scronky, but it um, it, it resolves it into this more kind of uh, consonant noble tone, uh, and um, it's a thing that happens again and again on this record. The use of final chord sequences to, as you say. A, create a kind of asymmetry, which is very consistent with the sort of slithering, uh, you know, slithering inhuman quality this music strives for. Um, but it also really reminds me of just like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that later. It reminds me of some other stuff too. Uh, but what really legitimates that riff as something other than like a very well executed big riff is I think the that the B section to it is meaningful uh, and sort of finishes the idea. Um, the B section is a lot more dissonant, but it doesn't uh, it doesn't negate or abandon the more heroic feel of the first part. Um, no, there's a, a very a, a weird organic way that that riff develops. Yeah, it really, it moves like a real classical chord progression. It has the thing that you get in, like, Dawn or Emperor, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it, it, it's interesting because, like, the time dilation effect that occurs from just that mm -hmm. constant blast beat in the background makes it hard to tell where the edges of the bar are in the riff. So it mm -hmm. sort of, like, unfolds and changes at unexpected times just because your brain kind of has trouble placing it on a grid. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Yeah, he is sort of straight. It could be a less interesting. This is a good example of a blast riff that might be less interesting if it were faster, um, or if it were at everything were half of the time that it was. Uh, and the it's worth drawing out. And the um, yeah, on his best trem riffs, he as you say, like creates this time dilation effect and then deliberately fucks with it, right? Mm -hmm. So as the at the, that second descending harsher riff turns around and ascends, it's it hits early in yeah. in one of the only in like the only violent movement in that whole chord change. Uh and I know that's a very have a hedge or a prophetica thing, right? But, uh yeah. I well I think I think that he definitely executes this is the, this is one of the best executions of a riffing idea that he uses a lot on this record. Um, <clears throat> I, I think my issue has more to do with like I don't know if that's a style of riffing I want across a whole record. I feel like it's better mm -hmm. served limited to climactic moments, but I would say most of the riffs on this record, move kind of like that in that they're kind of sprawling and weird but they're based on interval configurations that would be familiar to profanatica demon C stuff like that um the issue that i have is uh, i get the sense that this project is like sort of top down in a way like it started with a concept it started with specific musical limitations and everything mm -hmm. kind of like stemmed from that so so if the idea is what if we do a, a drawn-out sort of black metal-style take on something like Profanatica or Havohe or Incantation? Um, I mean, that sounds like an inherently cool idea because all those bands are abutting um, black metal already in a lot of their sort of theatrical ideas. My issue is that taking those kinds of riffs and using them as at least the starting point for his riffing style... 
I, I think they're designed to do different things. I think that those Profanatica riffs have to be played at like a pretty specific tempo with pretty specific rhythms for them to really land because if you just break it apart into their notes they're kind of nonsense you know a lot of profanatica stuff is just like completely atonal um there's really no meaning but when they're delivered really fast and really raw and aggressively the gestural quality works because you're listening you're not listening to notes you're listening to just approximate motions on a guitar like uh like the first devourment record where i talked about it's like uh, some of these riffs aren't riffs it's just like you move your hand kind of like this really fast you know right yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) a a, a creature of indefinite dimensions wriggling around exactly Uh, but i think the problem is when you start playing those riffs in this more stately fashion it puts a lot of emphasis on the individual interval choices Mm -hmm. and they're just not they're not riffs that really are designed to work like that so i want to play a section off a song called plague archon um really cool titles on this Mm -hmm. uh so here's gonna be like a, a uh, a section of riffs that all kind of work in the way that last riff that you play did, but I don't think it's as successful because while the atmosphere is cool and the idea is cool, these just aren't intervals really designed to be focused on as like the primary thing you're listening to. So listening back to that, um, none of those riffs are bad. It's just kind of confusing hearing them in this context for me. Um, And I think that really what we're running into is like a a, a sort of fine-grained methodological difference between death metal and black metal, where in death metal, there are riffs of like extremely varying importance. Um, de- a lot of death metal songs are built out of, you know, a couple big, important, memorable riffs, but then there's a lot of like interstitial material that is 
kind of gestural and kind of idiomatic, but it's really filled in by the rest of the band around it. When you start building songs that are more like black, like the metal, little micro riffs that, it, like the little things Morbid Angel does when they they're sort of like running between uh, attack riffs. Yeah, or say yeah. you know bridge riffs in a Cannibal mm-hmm. Corpse song mm-hmm. or something like that. Those are really cool because you know death metal is about keeping momentum. It's about movement and it's about rhythmic attack. And in some ways, like more than it is about riffing in and of itself. In black metal, though, every riff is pretty important. Um, Mm -hmm, If mm -hmm. you like a bummer riff in a death metal song, doesn't matter nearly as much as like a bummer riff in a black metal song. That 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 is a very good point, and that's probably part of why I always insist that every part of everything has to be good. Oh yeah, no, I I I get that, and actually, when I write, um, no matter what style, when I write on guitar, I try to make every part good. But it also means I'm sort of not able to write death metal properly because I won't use any of these sort of micro phrases. Because when I play them to myself, it's like, oh, this sounds stupid. It it doesn't when you play with a full band. It sounds sick, but sitting around playing it on guitar sounds Uh. ridiculous. Um, and as a guy That's that just, I write alone, so I don't like jam, so I never get to hear those ideas in full context. Right, um, because the idea of, if you don't have a drummer there to jam it with you, the idea of like, yeah, that doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, like, yeah, it doesn't yeah, even yeah. sound cool. It just sounds like fucked up circus music, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, Wilkins Wilkins begins to mew in protestation. Exactly. So I think what I'm running into here is um, this is a record that's really based off a sort of like ritualistic stillness and stasis, Mm -hmm. which I think, you know, is at odds with the death metal material that it's made from, which wants to be more aggressive and rhythmically dynamic. Um, But that could also, again, this could just be a taste issue because my criticisms for this record are really abstract. And I don't think everyone's going to hear it the same way. Okay, so here's another way of looking at that part. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense to me, um, that these are like Demon Seer Pro Fanatica riffs being stretched out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that maybe they are not quite as weird as they would sound initially to me, because it's like, oh, they're coming from somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the... Uh, um, But what I hear him as doing is taking these very gestural, random-sounding riffs and trying to write really good versions of them and rubbing your face in them. Yeah, I I, I was about to say, that's the other take on this is, okay, these are deliberately angular and weird things, and and I'll agree, there's something to be said for committing to that idea. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, of, of yeah. basing your material around yeah. sort of like the bridge parts of weird old death metal bands. Yes, because on this track, those are the big riffs. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, and, and actually, this is my favorite track. Or if it's not, if it's not Rites of Uncreation, it's this. Uh, I found this part really engaging. In part because I'm less used to those riffs than you are. In part because the level of dissonance and strangeness and aggression knocks the competition in the nearby genre out of the park that is Um, true like this guy's usage of dissonance especially like dual guitar dissonance is streets mm -hmm. ahead of most of these other guys 
Yeah, and I think the um and I think that also goes with like effective for a lot of these other bands, the long drawn out phrases is just total rhythmic stasis. Mm-hmm. Like that's the experience of all these bands, you know. Um in this case, uh it really um you know, there is stuff happening rhythmically and I think it yeah, it's happening for a reason, you know, listen to this horrifying interval. I think this guy, you know, remember when we reviewed um, Onward to Golgotha, mm-hmm. and we talked about, wow, this is really different from the people imitating this band, because this shit is just actually totally fucked. Yeah. Right? This guy obviously is not like a murderous junkie, like, <laughs> you know, like the members of Incantation back in the day, but, but he gets why that was cool. I think he understands what makes those riffs good more than almost everyone who imitates them, except people at the most monged fringes of war metal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can agree um, with that. So this part I found very engaging because the riffs cut off and interrupt each other in cool ways. Uh, and because of the way they add... Um, b- because of the way one of those riffs, the first one, just kind of like... Uh, you know, it, it goes through one of those strangely shaped Ledney riffs, and then when you hit the uh, the ringing dissonant ending chord, hits kind of early or in a strange place, mm-hmm. and the song just kind of the, the riff just kind of goes off the rails, like it just kind of and it, parts like that remind, and then it gets interrupted by another riff, which gets yeah, interrupted. He's by got another. this. He's got this mm-hmm. theme of arrangement where it's almost like he's. Taking kind of like a standard Profanatica mm-hmm. or Demoncy arrangement, mm-hmm. and then he cuts it in half and reverses them, so mm-hmm. that like the climax at the end of the riff is actually coming halfway through, and then you've got this weird way that loops back into it. Uh, it's it's kind of interesting. That's a very good way of putting it. So th- there's a um. So I think his method of songwriting is maybe most successful when he's juxtap to me. Okay, he has these stretched out riffs, but he's structure he's making them interact structurally in a pretty rapid fire way where each one depends on the others. Like yeah. as it happens in this section. Um like those are a bunch of really weird riffs that took a long time to write. Um or maybe he started by playing complete nonsense, but then he had to refine them a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And and you know, the big ringing chord thing uh it, it Maybe it was just because I was listening to Branicald earlier in the day, but it reminds me of Branicald. Um, I can I can see that the yeah. way those overtones kind of cluster together. Yeah, and that the the way the the way the BBH will sort of end a phrase on a sort of a mighty and majestic chord that's also way more dissonant or just strangely placed than you would expect. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of the reverse. He'll end a phrase on a really horrifying scronk chord that's also beautiful. Yeah, yeah, mm. I get that. So, so I, I kind of like that. And, and I think the other thing I want to say about this song, um, this is where we get into my major constructive criticism of the record, which would be there is this record, as a, in terms of song structure, this record is a bit of a one-trick pony. This guy knows exactly what he's doing, and he knows how to make that pony jump through a lot of hoops. Um... But it, um, in many, in the songs that we're not sampling, it's a real limitation. So, uh, Rites of Uncreation is the structural template for everything, and you can sum up the method. You know, that was the one we spent two samples talking about, right? Uh, the method is big back end, 
first part of song goes, interesting enough to sustain your interest, drop out or stop or something, big riff. Mm-hmm. Big riff happens, and it's not just a throwaway. It introduces a set of new ideas that get fully explored. And the problem with that format is that, like, you know, um, to do it well, the first part of the song has to be more than a staging rocket for the second. Mm-hmm. Right? So, Rights of Uncreation, it's the fur the lead up to the dropout is quite possibly better than what follows after the dropout right like mm-hmm. th- and um in what follows you get you you hear him playing with that formula um but in much less uh exciting ways so in i i, I mapped it out so in blood of ageless which is the next one or blood of ageless serpent right it's like the shortest and most aggressive track on the record uh um, it drops out, and then he hits this like simple grinding slow thrash trem riff. Um, on Null Cosmic Womb, it drops out, and you get a more complex sort of pulsating slow thrash riff, very prosanctus, I think. Mm-hmm. Then that stops. You get another dropout, and then it drops a huge like miglized incantation riff. Actually, something that sounds maybe a little bit like Sulfur Aeon. Um, and, <laughs> and, then we're, and then drops again, and we're back into a faster, slow thrash riff. And as you see, like, your, your head is already spinning, right? This gets hard to describe, because the songwriting depends a lot on, uh, A, deferral of the coolest parts till at least a third or a halfway through the song, and B, just interruption as the only method of introducing a new idea yeah um and 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 not always interruption sometimes it's just an I, idea finishes nothing happens something happens mm-hmm. <laughs> right yeah uh, it's best when it's interruption like you heard in different ways in both of the last songs we've done yeah um, i get i get that the intent is to make these sort of monolithic sections of mm-hmm. songs and the power is how you just run into it like mm-hmm. a granite wall but after, with enough repetition that loses its its effect yeah. after a while and, and it's best if they're actually running into one another like one reason I liked the riff on the riffs on Plague Archon so much is those are literally running into each other and interrupting each other mm-hmm. right there is a big dropout that introduces that whole section which you didn't sample but like you know, those riffs literally interrupt each other. Um, there's a major pause on Rites of Uncreation, but the pause is the interruption, right? But there are other places of where there's more passive kind of dropout songwriting. And in those cases, it works like the pop hook trick that Migla will use to introduce a big riff, mm-hmm. right? And you can only do that if... You're only allowed to use that so many times per record, and there has to be a big Migla riff after it. That's actually... Yeah. It's it's actually in the um, uh, it's it's in the contract. So. <laughs> yeah, that's what the um, Northern Heritage made that agreement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so like, uh, so on withered. So let's talk about the last track, withered flesh. Um, where you can hear maybe some of the criticisms that the death metal guy has, and some of the criticisms that I have coming together. There's one other structural concept happening on this record, one that works at a macro level, not the individual song, but the record. As the record goes on, the big trem riffs get uglier, weirder, and wilder. 
Um, they, we, we have, we, you know, by the end of the record, there's no chance you're going to hear something like the Rights of Uncreation trem riff. Um, uh, and it, it's a kind of deliberate deformation. Not in the sense of just entropy, loss of structure, or loss of form, although that may be thematically what it's supposed to suggest, but, like, rather you get these relative, you get these incantation riffs that are actually relatively consonant and harmonious, this relatively stable form unbinding itself into this more serpentine, jagged, Lovecraftian thing, right? And so Withered Flesh is the apex of that, and it should be really exciting, and it is in places, but uh, because this tendency of stop-start songwriting, uh, it, well, basically, this is a place where the stop-start songwriting is also maybe as much as it is, is the greatest it is on the record, and the riffs are at their most generically incantation pastiche in the way that, you know, the death metal guy was complaining about. Okay, so I had made a note to myself in the notes to count the number of stops and starts during that sample, but my dad called me and I had to text him and I forgot. Um, <laughs> there uh, are a lot, though, yeah. There are a lot, including a very egregious one about halfway through where it literally just does finish the idea, and it sounds a little like finish the riff, don't know where to go with this riff, do nothing, start a new riff. Yeah. Um, and uh, the last riff we got to is a really good riff, I think. That is a riff that is predominantly horrifying and grotesque. 
but has these shades of uh, glimmers of beauty to it as it moves. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a strange and serpentine riff. It has that. It's almost like an emperor riff. Yes, exactly. There's something kind of about the best riffs have something emperor about them, uh, for sure. Uh, and so it's an emperor riff that's very strangely shaped and moving in a completely different anti-thrashing logic, right? Uh, and it's um that riff is really cool, but it takes a long time to evolve, and it actually you can literally hear it sort of evolve out of another riff uh, that's less interesting. Uh, takes a long time to get there. And that riff is not like, that's like an in the middle of a song riff, right? It's not like, uh, but then it's like, oh, that's an interesting atmospheric riff. And then it just stops and the album ends, right? You have to listen to about a minute more of stuff, but the same stop-start method is used to end the record. Uh, And so... You know, I think that uh, if he wants this to work and and get even, you know, to continue the the great improvement that brought us this record, I I would try to work on some different structural principles. Maybe it just needs to be a whole lot dumber. We are back with our second record of the night, and uh, this is uh, this is an interesting one because this is a uh, a style of metal that we cover very rarely on this show. Uh, 
which is weird because I'm actually a, a a pretty pretty big fan of a lot of the older stuff in the style, uh, which is of course the now infamous sludge metal. Um, sludge is a weird genre uh, in that it's broken off into a lot of different subcategories that sort of don't really have anything to do with each other culturally anymore. <clears throat> You've got the, uh, it, the... It's the same thing about Doom. Right? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. not really a genre. Yeah. Um, so Sludge, I mean, you've got the uh, the sort of noisy stuff that was derived from I Hate God and Grief, which is now sort of, weirdly enough, is like in the domain of crust punks now. Um, that, that whole thing, you're getting a lot of these like weird sort of power violence meets sludge bands that are getting popular. They're mostly terrible. Um, you've got the stoner stuff, which just doesn't matter whatsoever. You've got the... Sort of the last vestiges of traditional post-metal, which we used to call atmospheric sludge stuff in the Isis or like the heaviest moments of neurosis vein. Um, but what you don't hear a lot in sludge, which is weird, is bands that sound like Crowbar. Um, Crowbar are just universally acknowledged to be one of, if not the godfathers of sludge metal as a style, but it's pretty rare to find bands that sound like them. Um, which is why I'm happy to talk about the new record by Iron Walrus titled Tales Never Told, out now on Apostasy Records. Uh, because Iron Walrus is one Ooh. of the few sludge bands that sounds like Crowbar. Um, that was a really good segue, dude. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm good. I'm like a... I, I'm like a, a mid-level radio host for a regional station, you know. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I got first introduced to Iron Walrus when I saw Crowbar in Germany, actually, and Iron Walrus were opening. Uh, I had heard the name before, but I wasn't familiar. Uh, I just knew they were a sludge band. So they took the stage, and they played a great set. Uh, I think this would have been probably right around their first or second record. Uh, that's probably when I would have seen them. And compared to the material on this record, that was definitely that definitely had more of like a hardcore edge to it. Um, but it was still uh, very melodic and very impassioned in the Crowbar style. Uh, so now, uh, some years later, we've got the fourth full length by these guys, and it's interesting because I just don't hear sludge guys talk about this. Uh, I don't know if it's a sort of, they're just part of the European scene and they haven't really crossed over to the States, or uh, if this style of sludge in the footsteps of Crowbar is listened to more by hard rock people than metalheads nowadays, mm. which is I think is also a possibility. Um, but either way, I, I think it's a really excellent record. Uh, and I really wanted to talk about it. I, I gave the black metal guy a few options of things that I thought about covering on the show, and he immediately seized on uh, the one from a style we don't usually cover, which is cool. Um, and it's especially interesting because you don't really have a background with Crowbar, so now you get to hear a band that's like heavily indebted to their sound. Um, I really like this album. What do you think, coming at this like super blind? Um... I, I like it. Um, I would say it. Uh, there's a lot of it that I. I think the main, the most, the central elements of this record I really like. I, I think there are reasons why. There, I may I may not listen to it again, and I have a hard time figuring out why. Um, but like you know, so there's there's something about it that doesn't like blow me away. 
But a lot of it, but I, I enjoy listening to it. A lot of it's really good. I have one of the riffs stuck in my head right now. Oh, um, it's, it's probably because and, this is like <laughs> structurally more like a rock record. Maybe, yeah. There are certain places where it is egregiously like that, which we can talk about. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, perhaps. Maybe just some of the note choices or something. But not, not really. I like all that. Um, I, I, basically, this, this could also be something I end up coming back to more than I expect. I think this is very cool. I'm glad we covered it. Uh, it is certainly... I want to say a couple things about Sludge in general that have something some bearing on this. Um, although in the early 90s, Sludge was billed as metal and marketed to metalheads, that is in the same way that major labels called corn metal. And I don't mean that Sludge is, you know, crazy clown junk, right? I mean that Sludge is... Uh, actually hardcore um yeah yeah and i i think the one band that maybe that doesn't apply to is crowbar which we will talk about right you hear crowbar is very much coming out of a specifically metal tradition um, well i mean i would not not quite i i would say that crowbar is a very pure blend of like hardcore and doom metal okay yeah so so, like, for instance, when you said, like, the I hate God or grief thing as being most popular with Krusty's, well, Nowadays, I'm sure... Yeah. yeah, so I'm sure there was a time in the 90s and early 2000s when those were very popular with metalheads, but those have always been really popular with Krusty's because I hate God and grief are Krusty's. Mm, yeah. Uh, I mean, they literally are crust punks, and, the you know, the, the I hate God stuff it just is slowed down hardcore. It's obviously very influenced by doom metal, but like, if you speed the songs up, and when they speed the songs up, they are hardcore songs. Um, oh, definitely. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it isn't the the sort of theoretical paradigm yeah. of all this stuff an extension of My War by Black Flag? I, I don't know. I've never listened to that one. It's got such a stupid cover. But um, oh yeah, it's, no, defi no. it's definitely an extension of the slow parts on Chromags. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that is somewhere I wanted to go. I think this record has a... So I'm sure you're right about the crowbar thing. But I think this record... And you say the earlier stuff sounded more like hardcore? Yeah. Uh, the the S earlier stuff was a little bit more aggressive. At least from what I remember from seeing yeah. them live. It, it had a bit more bite and you okay. know thrash to it than crowbar oh. did. Interesting. Okay, so I would say that this record is still pervasively hardcore sounding, mm -hmm. um, but the hardcore it sounds like is the most crushing down to low, basically proto beatdown stuff influenced by Chromax that came out of New York. So this really sounds like Marauder. Or uh, <laughs> I saw that reference um, in there. I was like, "Oh shit, okay." Just starting the song on the half tempo break, halftime breakdown. Uh, a lot of these riffs are kind of like are basically breakdown riffs uh, with more melodic inflection than you get on them nowadays. That's mm -hmm. like a Marauder thing. Um, Sheer Terror, I believe, is another one. They were really Celtic Frost influenced and had these big bellowing vocals in the same style. And I think I would also mention All Out War, which is Slayer core that is often down tempo. 
Yeah, um, and that's that's interesting because something else that I wrote in my notes, bringing it to hardcore mm-hmm. again, was that perhaps even more than Crowbar, what this sounds like is Kingdom of Sorrow, which was a side project by Kirk Weinstein from Crowbar, mm-hmm. along with Jamie Josta of Hatebreed. Um, oh, I remember this. I, was yeah, it actually with, good? It's actually very good. It, it's just, oh. um, you know, the, the, I think the problem for Kingdom of Sorrow was... It was threading such a strange needle in the audiences that it was trying to pull from. You know, it's like you got Jamie, you got a Kirk, um, and there is a niche of people that absolutely understand that and mm-hmm. and would think of it as a natural combination. But mm-hmm. I think a lot of people didn't get it because they didn't really understand the relationship right. between the styles. And then I imagine when the hardcore people who came for Josta listened to this record of just like really mournful slow melodic hardcore songs they were probably wondering what the fuck why are all these lyrics about like your wife dying and shit you know what i mean like that sounds really good i also really like the cover of the first record early example of nightcore with a k yeah 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 no it's it's super good i i i don't really recall the second one but the first one i played a lot so okay so i gotta check that out but um but basically, like, yeah, so this is half um, southern, you know, this is like half despairing southern blue-collar sludge and half uh, thugged-out East Coast hardcore. Um, yeah. <laughs> and if there's a thing, if there's the thing that's the limiting factor for me, maybe you put your finger on it earlier. Maybe it's I instinctively want to hear exactly the same songs, but with more bite to them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, like they could change very. Th- what this record has is a very pleasing, crumbly, warm guitar tone. Yeah, it sounds like it's it's a cool sound, but it does mean that there's a kind of uniform. Um, that's the only aspect of the record that evokes stoner stuff. Basically, it's the tones are a bit like Electric Wizard, uh, and you yeah, could or like, like or like uh, Clutch, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, like, it's a good tone, but it, it does mean the songs are delivered in a more kind of laid-back way and have this kind of a more uh, enveloping texture that maybe goes with the rock aspects of the songs and pulls against the fact that, like, 50 to 75% of this is, like, like, like haymaker music. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic. I mean, that was always the interesting thing about Crowbar is the idea, you know, Crowbar, if you, if you zoom out, like, the whole shtick there is, what if we did really delicate, almost gospel melodies out of mm-hmm. just the most, like, brute force timbres possible, mm-hmm. you know? So, so Kirk is, like, occasionally singing melodically, but his voice is just so scorched by a carton of Marlboro Reds a day, <laughs> and, you know, you've got these gossamer, thin lead guitars that are just getting demolished by, like, four four by 12 cabs it, it, the crowbar show that i went to is the single loudest goddamn show i've ever been to it took two weeks for my hearing to go back to normal after that definitely something with sludge bands for me it was probably neurosis but um the uh <laughs> um but but yeah so that makes a lot of sense um that that's like a we should talk about uh you're talking about his vocals we should talk about iron walrus guy's vocals mm-hmm. uh the um maybe more in the re- I, I guess i could just say it now because it's an overall point about the record okay yeah. so the vocalist is sven alferman 
this is a highly vocal-centered record yes. in a way that is unusual in extreme metal. Um, it definitely qualifies as extreme metal, right? But it That's, is... That, I was going to ask it, you that question. Do you think of this as an extreme metal album? Yeah, yeah, for sure. There are plenty of people who listen to Doom and even Stoner Sludge stuff who would not like this. This hmm, is okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think it is weirdly rock structured in certain ways, and maybe more accessible than. It, it could be a lot more extreme, but you know, I don't know if fucking like, uh, what was that? Um, you know, if Sarkrista is extreme metal, so is this. Yeah, that's um, fair. That's fair. Uh, and 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 like, uh, um. I, it belongs in the extreme metal world, but like the vote, it really focuses on the vocals because it has an outstanding vocal performance. And this guy does one of my very favorite vocals, maybe my favorite vocal style because it's one of the ones I can sort of do. Uh, but, um, <laughs> you know, or and it's a style by a lot of my heroes, right? So this is this is the hyper Lemmy, right? So this is what you get in Amoebix, basically, or maybe in High on Fire, right? This this bellow with a ton of vocal fry in it that's coming from the diaphragm, right? Yeah. Sort of a roar. Or Planes Mistaken for Stars does it. Um, uh, it's a very cool vocal. Um, it really has a lot to do, you know, yeah, you hear it most in, like, stench and old, like, 80s metal punk stuff. It's, um... Early, but he's sort of in Bolt Thrower and in Hate Forest in a, in a way. That's a different, that's a more way of taking it. But um, <laughs> there's a whole legacy of vocal, sort of bellowing, roaring vocals. And this guy is on, for most of those bands, maybe not Bolt Thrower, but for most of those bands, there's always some tone and inflection to it. So the, bar the Baron in <clears throat> Lemmy, Lemmy is singing different notes. Right. Yeah. Uh, the Baron and Amoebics, uh, Matt Pike, they're singing different notes. This guy is, um, this guy has a lot of melody in his voice, but it is also one of the most just like, uh, it also has some of the heaviest fry I've heard on it. Um, it, it they, they sound like they're delivered at unbelievable volume <laughs> unbelievable volume you know i don't know uh, if this guy needs a microphone live you know? yes yes it 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 earns the iron walrus moniker yeah um and so these are uh, this is this guy just has a fucking this band is a horse of a vocalist that's the center of it and it's worth hearing for that alone oh definitely well let's uh let's start then um i want to go to the title track a tale never told um that just we're gonna go to the beginning, basically the first half of this song, which is just a wonderful sequence of riffs. Um, mm -hmm. So I, obviously, I've been describing Iron Walrus as very much like Crowbar, which is true, but I don't want to sell them short on their own kind of unique aspects. Um, so I'd say that the core of this riffing is coming from Crowbar, but it's augmented by a lot of interesting takes on mellow death ideas, uh, as well as some chord voicings that would belong more in like emo or post-rock uh, but they never do emo or post-rock parts they're just using those chord figures uh, as a way to elaborate on these more traditional sort of depressive rock uh, chord progressions so a tale never told is just absolutely awesome and listen to this, and then listen to the way they turn the chorus around back into the verse riff in a really satisfying and very hard rock way 
that I'll, I'll talk about a little bit more after we listen. After the intro, that first main verse riff is an incredibly elaborate, very asymmetrical riff. There's a ton of stuff going on there, and it's not just, you know, different inflections uh, on a single phrase. It's a very complete, you know, like, it's like an eight-measure riff or something. I really like that, you know, because there's a way to do that more simply and less specifically that would Mm -hmm, probably mm -hmm. work almost as well. But they put in way more work to get that little bit extra and make it really special. Um, Yeah, I I told the death metal guy, played it it double time. That is a a chivalric black metal riff. That could be on like an antic band Mm -hmm, or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then it's interesting. You you listen to the, the main verse riff after that sort of elaborate intro suite and you have something that's almost like a, a simplified modern dark tranquility riff or something that yeah that just sounds like a melodeath riff but they've slowed it down and played it in a manner that 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 really messes with the contours of it it takes a little bit to pick up on exactly what the idea is and the whole record is dotted with that, and then getting into the chorus, that's when they they start bringing in sort of those post rock uh, chording techniques, or even really in a sense just like classic hard rock chording before 
all the lessons of you know the blues were shoved to the side. Um, I just think it's really cool. I, I I like that they've taken a style that can be delivered in a very blunt manner, but they've just added this huge dose of sophistication to basically everything that happens. And the rest of the album proceeds like that. There's a lot to sink your teeth into if you're just like a serious music enjoyer, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so that second riff, the da 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 I can totally hear why you hear that as like a dark tranquility thing. To me, it seems closer to home in that strikes me as a really Euro sludge riff. Yeah, you see, you know more about that kind of thing, but I know a lot of the American sludge stuff. You know more of the Euro scene. Yeah, so the Euro sludge, I mean, in a sense, right, Neurosis is the first Euro sludge band. Yeah, yeah. It's... it's, (laughs) It's Euro. It's Euro American music, very you know, very specifically, right? It's uh, and it clearly resonated with Euro dudes a lot, right? And uh-huh. it's coming out of the most elaborate, noble side of amoebics or whatever. Uh, and um, and that's how you get you, like you know, Cult of Luna yeah, and all those and, sort of bands yes, like that. And it also comes from crust punk, and it's crust punk that ends up approximating the moods of black metal and funeral doom right mm-hmm. uh and uh and so yeah so one way is the the poppy route is to cult of luna the more aggressive route is to amon ra right mm, yeah 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 uh, amon ra you know sort of links it more back to amoebics and just like thrash metal and shit so there's just a lot of really simple pedal point one zero uh you know, flat, you know, one zero flat seven rip. Are you having a fucking hailstorm where you are or something? <laughs> um, have very, very heavy rain, which I is, got, uh, it's, it's atmospheric. Yeah. It's good for the sludge review. Yeah, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the, um, the, the storm god is bringing in spring. So, uh, <laughs> so, so you get the, um, yeah, there was like a ton of fucking lightning too. It's pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, so that riff is very of a piece. That could be on an Amon Ra thing. And, mm. and and the thing that's maybe setting it apart a little here, or certainly the thing that sets it apart from American Sludge, is the the kind of graceful inflection in it, right? Mm-hmm. No, the, the fact that it's based on a pickup or whatever, that's just how to write a good three-note pedal point riff. But the but the like the way all the way it's done, you know. Yeah, it's got this like like, graceful waltz quality. Yes, that's like classical phrasing that a metalhead would play. Mm, Yeah, that's true. That's like you can imagine a part on a Randy Rhodes solo that begins like that. Yeah, Randy Rhodes solo, um, fancy. Fancy Swedish Black Death, any number of. I was gonna say it's like yeah, definitely. I could see there's some like weird distant relationship back to dawn listening to yeah. some of the stuff <laughs> yeah 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 dawn or Sa- sacramentum or whatever yeah it's um yeah actually that definitely is a dawn kind of phrasing um but yeah so basically you get there's a lot of cool influences coming into this even though these are relatively short uh you know six almost everything is five ish or less and then only the last two tracks are six minutes even though these are relatively short songs with rockish format and vocal emphasis, uh, there's a lot of interesting and interesting and naturally blended influences from you know this deep South chassis and this uh, East Coast tough guy uh, attitude, and then this sort of uh, more 
Euro atmospheric and nobility to it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's that, that's interesting. You know, I didn't really even think about the idea of like a a specifically European inflection on this style, but that pieces some things yeah. together for yeah. me. Basically, sludge that sounds weirdly like emo or black metal is like Euro sludge. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah. The whole atmospheric sludge thing, I think, basically didn't exist in the U.S. outside of, like, I guess, Neurosis and Isis. But it was huge over there. Mm, okay. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And see, you're more tapped in with, like, what was happening with hardcore and shit, so you mm-hmm. understand that a lot better than me. Um, all right, so what do you got? All right. Well, I got, um, I got. So you, you just played two very, um, two very subtle, elegant, uh, metallic riffs. Um, he, here's some, here's some ignorant stuff. So yeah, then we get a more atmospheric bridge, but nobody cares about that. What we care about is the A B A B, uh, just slugfest that just happened. <laughs> um, so we got that just like one two like one two bulldozer riff, and then that just like coiled uh, that sort of like you know cobra flaring its hood riff on the chorus, right? Found down there, there, there. And I, you know, uh, I, I don't, I say that advisedly. This is like dude with a cobra tattoo on his bicep riffing. Um, oh yeah, like, absolutely. This is, <laughs> and, and so this is one of the tracks that strikes me as really like exemplifying the NYHC thing. This is like, this is like, has that marauder feel pervasively, not just in the vocals, which are very similar, but like, uh, it has that feel of 
hardcore with somewhat more elaborate metallic riffing, mm-hmm. and you're trying to mosh with a bag of bricks on your back and a 30-pound dumbbell in each hand. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's really interesting um, because uh, what... I was talking while I was playing. This is actually one of the tracks that sounds most directly similar to the first, like, four or five Crowbar albums. Um, This is, like, Crowbar um, now is known for these, you know, beautiful, grief-stricken melodies, which, of course, they're phenomenal at, but they're also just really fucking heavy and, like, really aggressive mm-hmm. when they want to be. They never forgot the the real hardcore roots. It's like, there's 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 Crowbar songs with D-beats on them. You know, it's... Uh, and it, it's cool to see a band that's really kind of taken in both those things. But what's also interesting well, is that while that was playing... Saying that it sounds like Marauder or Sheer Terror totally makes sense, and I absolutely did not scan that just because I'm familiar, so familiar with this style of sludge that it just sounds like itself to me. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, okay. that, it just sounds like Crowbar. Oh, no, Crowbar sounds like all these bands, too. <laughs> well, no, well, so here's a, f- and then there's there's another twist, which is, I decided to look up the chronology. Maybe these are my hardcore priors at work, but, like, I tend to assume rhythmic and riffing ideas get are indeed in minimalist hardcore form and then incorporated into extreme metal, Mm -hmm. uh, which very often happens. Uh, However, um, this is another case like uh, when we looked up Hatebreed versus Pantera. Where yeah, it turned yeah. out that the Hatebreed riffs were actually Pantera riffs, not the other way around. Yeah, yeah. We um, have a tendency to think of a lot of these formative yeah, things yeah. like unstuck from time. Yeah, so it turns out the Marauder riffs are Crowbar riffs. Um, that is fascinating. <laughs> and, and that the Marauder, if the Crowbar guy's vocals have always had a bellowing aspect to them, the Marauder guy's vocals may also sound like Crowbar vocals. Oh, yeah. I Kirk, don't know how Crowbar... Yeah. Kirk has always sounded like that. Um, it's... Yeah, that is so really interesting. You don't get Master Killer till 95, by which point we have already had Obedience Through Suffering, 91, Crowbar, 93. Uh, okay, so only two records, but that's still a lot. Two LPs. And then Time Heals Nothing, 95, comes out in the same year. Yeah, and what, what makes this even more interesting to me is, like, I don't ever hear hardcore guys talk about Crowbar. So it's like Crowbar is a band that is very rooted in hardcore, but is almost entirely adopted by the metal scene and is almost forgotten by hardcore guys. It's <laughs> it's, it's a cultural it, it's a cultural thing. It's basically just like um, uh, metropolitan hatred of the rural poor. <laughs> um, well, not to put not to be too on the nose with it, but yes, yeah, that, that's abso- it's absolutely what's going on. It's punk guys hating anything that sounds redneck, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, yeah. So you the, know, the, the, I hate God. Sort of constituted themselves against the South. Crowbar are a Southern band. Yeah, it's like I I hate God are like from the shitty parts of New Orleans and they hate it. Crowbar right. are from the shitty parts of New Orleans, but yeah, it's our it's our fucking home, man. What are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> yeah, you can you can really mention Crowbar in the same sentence as like Pantera and like Leonard Skinner or something. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all a network of yeah. all these sort of bluesy mm-hmm. ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, oh, I guess I'm. I have the next sample. Yeah, too. yeah. Okay. I, was, I, I was giving you the the trail off so you can intersect mm-hmm. with it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, 
So here's a here's a part I liked that is way more metal, and in a way that's a bit different from the uh, s from the subtle. Well, actually, it's pretty fucking similar. the The chords are less textured, but this this is more like a this is a part that sounds more old school doom. Mm -hmm. uh, than the metal part uh, death metal guy picked. Um, and in the first of these riffs, you can hear a Eurodoom classic, Candlemass's Samara. I was wondering if you were going to pick that out because I heard that. I was like, this is absolutely a specific Candlemass reference here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, back when they were good. could hear the da 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 mm -hmm. yeah that's that's the Samaritan that's that lurch mm -hmm. at the beginning of Samaritan and then it, this song just has the just majestic slow burn pacing um uh this is another place this is a place where the vocals could drag or falter mm -hmm. because you're repeating the same phrase over and over uh there's a chord change on the second repetition of the riff. It goes up like a second or something, to, you know, in a way that like creates dissonant yeah. like dissonance. Um, they could land really wonky on that um, or go out of tune, uh, and they could be fading out already by the third repetition. Uh, but this guy has the power and the breath and the consistency to carry it through, right? He's and he it, it escalates it finishes strong it escalates at the end yeah even even though his vocal performance is very harsh he's really trying to provide a meaningful sense of dynamics to his performance you know not yeah. every line is delivered in a monotone roar yeah there's a melody there so he does the first thing he comes in hard on the first repetition 
on the second repetition you get that chord that that major lift and the uh and he he sort of pulls back right he pulls back he he, he gives it more inflection on the third he's you know there's this kind of descent and it gets really heavy again and then with that coda phrase which is either in your memory or something like in your soul he changes it up uh he's just full blast right that's the mm. loudest he's been um and you know a lot of credit also has to go to the guitarist there and or the guitarists right to the string section who wrote uh this really cool arcing chord progression for those vocals that also works on a riffing level yeah it's um mm. I, I i'm starting to think now like especially us talking it through you know the parameters of the genre maybe the whole thing about sludge is that it always needs to be in direct contact with both hardcore mm. and doom you know yeah yeah that makes sense sludge starts to fail when it becomes more of its own thing Mm. Yeah, that sounds right. Like yep. it's maybe it's designed to just be a hybrid genre and then like it, trying to dig something uniquely sludge out of the material that is not just hardcore or doom metal results in just kind of bad ideas. Yeah, it has to be like hardcore structures with metal uh metal gravity or majesty to it, right? Yeah. Or or simply metal, or I mean, I hate God has neither of those things. Let's just say uh, metal, uh, metal heaviness, metal riffing styles. Oh yeah, no, I mean, I, I hate God is is definitely like also a it is a hundred percent a hardcore band and one hundred percent a metal band at the same time. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, like a yeah, lot of those. I hate are. God is the closest. I hate God is the closest to just the musical values of hardcore, but it's definitely suffused with metal in an important way. Yeah. yeah, and I, I think another thing that probably is important, at least for a certain style of sludge, is direct proximity to, like, blues and southern rock, which is just so important. Yeah. And it's kind of the defining feature of the style, melodically, that you don't find or, in other styles. Maybe, maybe, oh, maybe what it is is direct proximity to folk music, broadly defined, right? Mm, yeah, yeah, So yeah. the folk tradition of the American South, right, it's the... It's it's either the Delta Blues or it's uh, Hillbilly Bluegrass or a combination of the two, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, with Neurosis, they start tapping into the European folk sound, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And that's the Euro Sludge stuff. But either way, it has to have that, which can either make it sound, uh, gri you know... Uh, gritty and like gritty hard times music or like greasy nasty fun music or like you know yelling off the mountain music right? yeah, yeah um all of those things make it something <coughs> other than just like loud heavy music for dudes with beards to get high to <laughs> yes thank you exactly that um yeah, yeah no no guys and sleep baseball tees you know Ooh, like, yeah. none of that um, all right, so for my last sample, I want to go to the second-to-last track. Oh, also, real quick, the solo on that part ripped. The solo was awesome. There's oh, yeah, it's awesome. Work on this. It, it's, yeah. it's awesome because it's just, just ripping it out like it's a Skinnerd solo. Yes, know? anyway, continue. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, Exile. Um, the back half of this record really starts emphasizing the doom a lot more mm -hmm. than the first half. And Exile, I think, is one of the best takes on like the more intensely doomy stuff that iron walrus mm -hmm. does um 
So I, we're going to take you into the middle of the song, and you're going to hear this very elaborate chorus suite. Um, you're going to hear uh, the tail end of a verse into a chorus and then into a bunch of related melodic ideas from that chorus. Uh, and then, you know, it, it's sort of a head fake. You think you're going to go back into the verse, but no, they're spinning off in a different direction, starting with the chorus again and then kicking out toward the end of the song. <clears throat> so I think that it's really interesting the way this band plays with the contours of both metal and just hard rock songwriting conventions, kind of, you know, mixing up different elements of each, you know, these sort of very... Uh, complex sort of linear arrangements of uh, extreme metal with the more looping quality of like rock and pop music. And I think that's used to a really great effect here. Those are all really simple riffs, but they're very carefully chosen chords. And <clears throat> listening again on headphones, you really get to soak in the details in individual chord voicings. You know, I was plucking out, it's like, okay, so we've got another fifth on an additional string that's coming in, you know, while the root of that chord's already being played. Just this tiny inflection buried in the production, but mm -hmm. it, it adds such a, a textural richness to this stuff. Like, you can tell that there's a lot of big, blunt power chords, but there's a lot of very delicate play with adding and dropping, sort of harmonizing strings. It's, it's very, very pretty and very heavy 
and not in the fucking simpering way that pitchfork people describe that sort of thing. <laughs> no, no, those that's a lot like Amon Ra chording, sort of mm-hmm. droning, really, really droning pedal point riffs with these simple additions and subtractions harmonically. Yeah, 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 and and it, it's arranged. Yeah, the arrangement there is awesome. Uh, what else do you like about this? I, uh, I I like the the patience of this. You know, there's a there's a good range of stuff on this record from you know sort of like my first sample compared to this. The, my first sample is very dense, very harmonically rich. There's a lot going on even within an individual riff. Here it's extremely simple and almost minimal and traditionally doomy, but the the arrangement is done with just so much subtlety and care that it stands up to the more complex material. Okay, so now um, we've got to talk about, I think, so I, I've I, I raised some overall questions about, like, just whether, you know, whether this lands as well for me as it does for you. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to say now, uh, this really, upon listening to it again with you now, without just, like, I got to listen to this X number of times for the show, mm-hmm. I, 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 li- I really like this. Um, the the good parts of this record are are phenomenal, and most of the good parts are most of the record is good parts. But we do have to talk about a few things that say if a terminus listener found them uh, or came across them might just deter them from listening further, which would be a mistake. Mm-hmm. So we have to talk about the first track and the last track. Uh, well, what about the last track? I like the last track. Eh, okay, so I'll tell you the thing about the first track. So we both agree the first track is by far the weakest on the record, right? Yeah, that, it's a pretty big misstep. I'm not sure why it starts with that song, but it's just like, it's a standard deviation worse than everything else on the album. Yeah, and it's not really, would you agree, it's not really because of any of the riffs, which are pretty cool in themselves, and it's an interesting combination. Yeah, but, I think it's it's more that it, it sort of suggests a different kind of album. That's like almost cruising music. That it's cruise. It's definitely almost <laughs> cruising music. The riffs themselves are heavy enough that they could be sequenced in an aggressive way, but they're not. Um, it's the rock. It's the most rock songwriting on the record. Uh, mm-hmm. It it epitomizes the rock tendency on the record, uh, and and so. And, and mostly because it centers on this pop hook chorus. And the lyric is like, you were born in another dimension, not from this world. Right? Yeah. Right? So I get the idea, right? But in English, at least, the notion of being from another dimension or other dimensions is just, the, it's a really lame idea. Right, it's it's the idea of like like sci-fi and um, the most vapid pop science, like Neil deGrasse Tyson tells Joe Rogan yeah. other dimensions, <laughs> or like uh, you know like what is another dimension? I don't fucking know. And people who people who have mathematical explanations for it don't fucking know either, right? Uh, so another dimension or mathematical models, right? Uh, and um, and it's and it's also of course the get out of jail free card in every Marvel movie, right? So it's it's like this pop cultural trope that in that is worn pretty thin. My guess is that if you're not a native English speaker, you might hear the full resonance of that idea, 
right? You know, you're he, right? he says not of this world, not from this world, right? You're from the, the other world or something, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're. It, it might convey a greater depth, but in English, at least, it's kind of like zip zap zorch, right? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's UFOs and shit, uh, and. And I think this is points up a problem of writing in English when you are not a native speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, so it presents certain kinds of challenges. Uh, basically, if he sang in German, he wouldn't have to worry about shit like this. Uh, the kind of music that they're going for, that Iron Wallers is going for, right? They want to write in an everyday register of language, right? And they want to talk about really fucking rough life experiences for the most part right mm-hmm. right the idea is it's that crowbar thing that yeah. the death metal guy likes right it's it's the old guy next to you at the bar but he has some real wisdom to impart yeah right? yeah and and he's an eloquent speaker right and he has a depth of feeling that uh a depth of feeling that is not the stereotype um and so they're going for that so it needs to be plain spoken everyday music in some way um, and so, but it can be hard to hit that balance if you're not a native English speaker, right? If you're not used to that sort of just how do you have a really serious conversation in everyday English? Yeah. Um, and, and, and like, see, being from not speaking English as your first language in, in, black metal is an asset right <laughs> it's it, like that's not a problem it, it it's it's not a bug it's a feature right so for instance wolf blast scorns over mountain turbulent hammer commence right <laughs> like 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 that's you know you want like just fucking crazy english um but like in something like this there's just a difficult balance to strike i think this record would be better and i think the band would be better if on the next record, uh, they just said, you know, fuck it, and sang the whole thing in their native language. 